0: But in the end of the day, peace building and any type of work, you need to be practical, you need to be efficient. So I had to learn really hard during COVID-19 how to be as practical and efficient as possible and realizing I can't solve all this.
1: Welcome to The Mo Show podcast, episode 27. My guest today is a young, passionate Saudi lady. She's an associate peacebuilding officer in the Department of Political and Peacebuilding Affairs at the United Nations HQ in New York. Only took two takes to do that. (laughs) It gives me great pleasure to welcome Miss Jude Al-Harthi. Welcome, Jude.
0: Welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Happy to be here.
1: Thanks so much. So seven months ago, you reached out to me on Instagram. All right. And you said, Mo, I love what you're doing. Maybe one day we can get on a podcast. And for whatever reason, you know, you you, you, know, you were here or you were over there. I'm so glad that we finally got this. Uh, finally. We solidified it. <laughs> exactly.
0: Thanks,
1: th- thanks for being episode number 27 on The Mo Show.
0: Thank you. Was
1: it a dream always for you to, to join the UN in any capacity? Was it something that you wanted to do at a younger age?
0: Yeah. So that's a good question to start off with. Sorry,
1: I went right for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what we're here for. Um, so that's a good question. Uh, Generally, I feel that it's a lot of people's dreams because of what the UN really represents in the international cooperation Mm -hmm. section, development, human rights, peace building. Um, But when it comes to me, before moving to the UN, I was working at a human rights firm at London. And I come from an international uh, law background where I was also based in London where I studied, got my pre-law, my bachelor's, my master's. And when you study international law, it's really difficult not to come across the UN one way or another, whatever you're into, business, trade. There's a UN agency almost for everything. So um, I've also actually interned in the country office several moons ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when the opportunity came up, definitely, I was so enthusiastic, I was so excited, especially because it was a peace building. And I took a bit of a leap of faith because leaving London, moving to New York, and it was very different. Peacebuilding is such a complex, different sector than what I was used to. Um, Looking back now, I'm happy to have taken that risk. It worked out.
1: Amazing. Uh, so you uh, your schooling was in Saudi um, you know, up until like, uh, just before college, and then for college you, you went abroad?
0: Yes, so I was uh, born and raised in Riyadh. I studied here all of my childhood. I mm-hmm. still have family here, so I'm always coming back. Um, and then for my bachelor's, I went ahead and moved to the UK where I studied my pre-law, like I said, my bachelor's and my master's. And then I continued to work mostly in the, pri- in the legal sector. Mm-hmm. Now, for I also got the chance to work in the, um, got some work experience in California Federal District Court with Judge Virginia Phillips, who now is, and I'm, you know, she was wonderful. She's the chief, actually, Supreme Judge for the federal court in California. And I got the chance to work also on social enterprises and a bit of here and there, as I said, with the UN. I worked also on youth UN conferences. But in the end of the day, my bread and butter was commercial law. I actually come from a very business mm-hmm. legal background. And that was what I focused on for a while. I worked a bit in Dubai, a little bit in Riyadh, mostly the UK. And then one day I felt that, I mean, I think everyone at one point in their career, there's, they want more, they want something different, yeah, something yeah. else is calling for them. And that's when I made the shift to the human rights firm. Mm-hmm. And around that time, the opportunity for the UN came up.
1: And you were like, this is my calling. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Um, Department of Political and Peacebuilding Affairs at the UN. <clears throat> that's, um. that's like, my God, so many things can go under that. But wh- what's your normal day like? What are some of the day-to-day jobs that are handled in that department?
0: Is there a normal day? Um, <laughs> especially with COVID. <laughs> no <laughs> normal a ch- days. Um, so essentially, uh, DPPA, right? We, we. unfortunately, in the UN, they love their abbreviations. Mm-hmm. I think this was one of the first things I had to get used to. Um, everything is abbreviated. So DPPA... Deals with conflict management, mitigation, prevention. Um, it's essentially the political body, and, and also does peace operations, peacekeeping. I am more in the peace building office. Okay. Peace building is what we would say it's a cross. Um, it's a cross pillar work. What I mean by that is that it's not just peace building involves development, human rights, humanitarian it's really based on the need we see on the ground. And there's such a thing, Mohammed, as the uh, development, humanitarian, and peace nexus. What happens is the fact that if you think of conflict traditionally, now we're going way back, um, this is a very narrow, mind, uh, a narrow mindset when you look at conflict. They used sometimes, you just assume the minute a crisis happens, what, ha- what goes down? What do you think is the first thing that's gonna happen, um, like a huge crisis? War. War, right? Yeah. Who comes in first? Humanitarian aid. People are being displaced, the situation is ugly, we need to act now. Yeah, to save so lives. humanitarian, right? You're bringing in food, shelter, whatever you can. Then, again, this is actually the narrow mindset. And then you bring in who? Peace building. Yeah. We come in, the situation is sort of stable, maybe very unstable, but we're trying to build peace. It could be about create, you know, mediation, it could mm. be a peace agreement. We're, we're trying to now stabilize the situation as much as possible. Once the situation feels stable, who comes in? Development. Okay. They're like, okay, we have the foundation, let's move forward. That is not the way to think of peace building. That is not the way we view things anymore because, and there are certain countries in the world where I know you can think of it with me here, where you, you have, a, there's enough stability in certain areas to have development, but other neighborhoods where there's crisis, that's pure humanitarian, mm-hmm. and at the same time, there is an opportunity for peace building. So all of them are happening at the same time. So when you asked me about peace building, the reason I told you there isn't really a normal day is because we have to treat every country very differently based on the need, based on the crisis, based on the situation, and it's never, there's never a blueprint. Yeah. No, there's coo- no one no answer. No two countries
1: are the same, surely.
0: No, it is always based on what are we seeing on the ground? What can we do right now? Um, but essentially, peace building is about sustaining peace, trying to transform conflict, like I said, prevent it even possibly from coming, so we act, whether there's a conflict right now active, mm-hmm. whether we see a country going into conflict, possibly tension, or a, conf- or a country that is coming out of conflict, a post-conflict mm-hmm. situation. So it's, um, I want to give you an example of one day, but I can't, every day uh, every day brings surprises. And yeah. we try, with COVID, unfortunately, a lot of conflict has been exasperated. Yeah. So um, it, there was such a steep learning curve mm-hmm. in COVID. The whole situation, the whole game changed. Yep. But we're, you know, I'm an optimist, I'm an idealist, and I was telling you that beforehand, you have to be in this nature of work. Of course. Um, so I, I believe that we're progressing and we'll continue to and yeah. peace will happen.
1: You spoke a lot about uh, conflict analysis when we were on the phone you know, seven, eight months ago and you know, earlier before we started rolling. Um, conflict analysis is also part of you know, the stuff that you work on uh, closely uh, on day to day. I know, you know we just discussed peace building and what goes into that. But with conflict analysis, is that a very sensitive matter? I mean, to try to figure out how did a country, did country X get into the position that they're in and what can we do to remedy the situation? Like what goes into conflict analysis?
0: Yeah, so that's a, again, that's a great question. Um, conflict analysis is the very first step towards yeah. peace building, towards figuring out anything. So to clarify a little bit more of what I do, I have certain regions that I cover that certain countries, certain regions. For example, I lead on South Asia right now. I also work in Europe. I work on Central Asia. Um, a lot of it is also programming. You're making projects happen. Um, and so when you wanna consider what kind of project you're gonna, what project you'll design, first thing you need to do, and I just mentioned it, you need to understand the situation. Yeah. Because there's no one answer. You have to really make sure you're tailoring it. And to have any good project, or to create any good solution, you need to zoom in as much as possible into the root causes, into the systematic issues. If you really want to create a solution that can last, mm-hmm. you know, or just a solution that can create that you know, that idealistic image of peace, then you need to understand as much as possible what mm. happened here. Yeah. So conflict analysis is the very first step we do. Basically it's, as I said, understanding the scene, the systematic issues. It's a multi-dimensional work. Yeah. It revolves taking in all the stakeholders. It's not just done by me and my colleagues, we will reach out to our country teams, we'll reach out to stakeholders. Um, And from there, once we can identify the most problematic issue, because with conflict, it's never just one problem, it has so much layers to it, you need to select which one is the biggest threat, the biggest risk. This is a bit of mitigation, right? You need to mitigate the situation. You choose that one, and on that, you will then solve the problem. You will build the project. Um, and then, as any project, you would build the indicators. You take into account the beneficiaries. You just make sure you're creating something very concrete. I think what's always tricky is also evaluating it. How do you evaluate change? How do you evaluate change of perception? How do you evaluate peace? Yeah. Um, that's always, I think, maybe the trickiest part.
1: Is language a barrier when you're dealing with these East Asian countries? Trying to figure out the narratives
0: definitely i think language is a very sensitive uh you need to be very sensitive towards language because we i mean in the un we're all from everywhere me and my colleagues were literally from everywhere great
1: networking for you you <laughs> know someone from every country
0: <laughs> i mean it's also it's beautiful diversity because the more different people are in the ability definitely. to respect people's different opinions then our solutions are more creative Absolutely. there are so many times when i sit there and a colleague of mine says you know what, did you think of so-and-so? Or I would actually pinpoint something. Oh, you're dealing with, for example, a Muslim group or a religious group, right? Being from Saudi Arabia, I grew up around Muslims all the time. I understand certain conflicts. I point out, you know what, I think you need to think of blah, blah. So it's the ability to benefit and contribute from our different opinions. Going back to the language question, we hire a lot of experts and consultants, and as much as we can, we actually need national ownership. We want to ha- We want national leaders for peace so if you're creating a good project you need to be as inclusive as possible it's not just jude or me or my colleagues that are running the show actually local peace building i'm a big advocate for it and generally my office we are because if locally you can empower the people to lead on peace building then one day they won't they won't need me or anyone right and that's the dream is that people can lead on peace themselves
1: absolutely well done i'm I'm just so you—you yeah, you told me your age, and and what you're saying to me. Um, well, for those who listen, her age is is, is exactly the number of this episode. Um, and is. you speak like someone who's you know in their early forties, fifties. mashallah, like only three years that. at the UN, and the information that's coming from you is uh, is is so much. I don't even know where to go uh, with my questions. I'm truly humbled. So Thank la you la so much. La 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 I appreciate it's, that. It's that. I'm sure you're considered a star um, in the, you know amongst your team <laughs> oh. and maybe even bigger. The social media play um, a part in where, you know, in trying to get the truth of what's really happening on the ground. You know how like media back in the day would censor this, censor that. Does social media help to get, the, the, you know, a, a real, the, the reality of the situation mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, pictures, videos? Does it help? Does it hurt? Does it, does it, does it play no role mm-hmm. in, in trying to find out a little bit more about what's happening in, in a conflict area?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So social media, what's interesting about social media is that it's given the power to the individual, right? Anyone, almost anyone can post anything, but there's also a danger to that. With COVID-19, we've seen a spread of misinformation and and that misinformation can literally kill, right? Mm -hmm. If you're passing on the wrong information or could, unfortunately, we've seen hate speech increase mm. because of uh, social media where, again, anyone can post anything and we might automatically assume it's the truth, Correct. right? Pro-
1: propaganda, it's it's everywhere.
0: Fact-checking is not easy. Um, there was a big campaign the UN ran during COVID-19 on how to combat misinformation. How can people, and it went to that stop, was it stop, pause, read before sharing. And it's really trying to get people to think, people almost in a very numbing way nowadays. Check things and reshare and,
1: and on WhatsApp the forwards. I mean, just sh- that's such a good point. Stop, pause, read, and then you know decide whether it's worthy of a, of a share, because you don't want to be part of that chain that is spreading false information. Sorry to cut you off, but it was a no, very no, was a very big uh, point It's very close to my heart. You know, and I think even in Saudi now we have these Twitter pages, uh, or maybe even more than just a random Twitter page. I think it's uh, backed by 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 one of the government initiatives um that is um or something like that there's, there's something that that, that rectifies whether the news is is yeah. is true or false yeah. yeah uh because um i don't know people just love sharing and half the time if not more it's uh, it's bs
0: No, and and, you know, it it genuinely can unfortunately sometimes lead to violence because you're aggravating people, emotions are on a a rocket high, you're just constantly sharing. And we've actually seen situations in certain countries where, for example, uh, in a certain country there was almost no access to social media or even internet. And then in one year, in just one year, people had access to smartphones. Mm -hmm. About 99%. That's how it went super fast. It spiked. What happened? People were not responsible. With sharing information they were not used to it they didn't know how to go about it mm-hmm. in fact we've seen such an escalation in local violence at that time wow. certain groups were trying to post certain negative comments and stereotypes mm-hmm. and we were reinforcing such a negative negative uh, narrative and that narrative what's really scary is sometimes the people themselves stop owning it mm-hmm. it starts with you sharing something but down the line that narrative it, it just, it really grows and it grows and it, you can't stop it by that point. From peace building perspective, we do do work on social media. There's a lot of social media analysis to understand where did we see this, where do we see things tipping? Where's the tipping point here yeah. and there? Um, hate speech, we have projects on combat and hate speech by trying to create, um, countering it with positive messaging, Even. These days, there's so much work, not just from the UN, I think worldwide and innovation, trying to create responsible algorithms. The Mm -hmm. algorithm doesn't know better, right? I'm not a tech genius, but I'm a tech enthusiast. I think there's a huge future for innovation and peace building, where we are trying to integrate tech more and more. And there's definitely, I mean, I can't wait for the day where we can create responsible, smart algorithms. because I think the narrative can get easily yeah. easily played with absolutely. and disoriented.
1: With the technology we have, at our fingertips, I think we can use it to the benefit of humanity.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's a lot of good to do. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, it takes someone with a big heart like you to be able to put up with these <laughs> stories, uh, you know, time after time. Is there a specific story that you can perhaps uh, underscore for us that really s- that, that stays with you a lot, that, that keeps you up maybe at night? Something that really could have uh, had an effect on you?
0: yeah honestly a few things that keep me up at night i'm not gonna you know that's that's i'm sure in your line
1: of work you can't pinpoint but
0: i think what kept me and a lot of other you know people again in this profession just generally that are trying to support social causes is covid 19 um that time i mean i'm fortunate i'm one of the lucky ones in this world who have who has a home, food, I'm shelter, good. but COVID nineteen exasperated a lot of the conflict drivers. People who were poor are now poorer. People who had it tough have it worse now. Um, all the indicators we saw for progress in the world have went back. It's just because this pandemic has affected almost every imaginable industry. And so COVID nineteen really really took a toll I think on many of us Um, and you needed to respond quick you need an answer now and the whole world was still trying to understand this you know this virus and we still are till Mm -hmm. now you're seeing the situation escalate in certain countries and so I think that really kept me up at night but I like to think that we were able to respond at one point I mean almost all of my projects had to be redesigned by the way why Because what was relevant is no longer relevant. All my solutions now were outdated, even if I got a project approved last week. So I had to sit down and, you know, you have to ask the tough questions to yourself and your, this is a, you know, this is a teamwork effort. It's not just an HQ. We were kind of also reach out to our colleagues in the field. We reach out to stakeholders to think together on how can we make this now more relevant to the situation you're having on the ground. And that was a really difficult question. And I think sometimes, um, you want to really not not your perfectionist side, but more of you wanting to really make that positive change. You can think maybe we need to do that, maybe we need to do this. But in the end of the day, peace building and any type of work, you need to be practical. You need to be mm-hmm. efficient. So I had to learn really hard during COVID-19 how to be as practical and efficient as possible. And realizing I can't solve all this, yeah. really gonna have to pick and move on with this. So. I, Literally every single project I worked on was redesigned. All of it. Everything I worked on, even a month ago, I was like, that's not out of the, toss it away. Let's bring in something new. That's crazy. But I sleep better now. That's good. That's <laughs> good. That's <laughs> good. That's yeah. good.
1: Um, so, so the whole COVID thing was a curveball for every country. Uh, you know, some countries did really well. Some countries uh, maybe not so well. Um, but actually Saudi was, was used as an example of one of the countries that, uh, that really handled it well. Um, what's what's your take on how you know it all unfolded here? Yeah.
0: Again, it was a time of uncertainty, right? And it's amazing to see how all the countries were trying to handle it. In terms of Saudi, speaking my personal capacity, um, I was one of those who were brought back on a plane from New York, and I was so fortunate. And I consider my, I mean, I was so lucky to be brought and reunited with my family. I was even put in for two weeks in a quarantine wow. um and so having that luxury we were tested frequently while we were there i'm a very careful person mm. so i actually was one of those people on the plane who was even cleaning her table and cleaning <laughs> it and at that time we still weren't sure what COVID is so no, i was mm. like not taking any risks yeah, yet. Yeah, you yeah, worry yeah. about your family you don't yeah. want to bring in something new york was doing really bad at that time were, yeah. it was the worst uh, city across the world mm. so definitely feeling that i want to be reunited with my family but i need to be super careful so yes i was cleaning the table cleaning mm. everything um, and I was brought back. I was very fortunate. I managed to even spend some of, of Ramadan and Eid with my family at that time. This is so our last Ramadan. The last one. So yeah. I was very, very, very fortunate, I have to say. And I was super grateful. And they tested us, like I said, really frequently, um, making sure that we were all feeling fine almost all, every day. Yeah. So I, it personally, I'm so grateful for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was just the way vaccines are, you know, available and free. Um, I think half the population has now been... I had mine last week.
0: You were va- I'm vaccinated too, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm so happy about that. Yeah. It, uh, well,
1: you it wouldn't have been allowed into the studio if you weren't, so <laughs> I made sure <laughs> that you were. <laughs> That's good. But, I mean, did you see... Did You You got it done in Saudi, yeah? Yeah, I got it done o- in Riyadh. Organization in Riyadh, like, was it... Uh, it was like...
0: It was spectacular. You know, me and my sisters, we all went for it together, and we were so impressed, just... It was the color coding, the whole system. There was not one second we were where we were lost. It's just mm. easy. You always had someone to guide you, someone to say, oh, head off here, yeah. come over here. Um, for example, I'm not a big fan of needles, so I voiced Even that more. out. Yeah. Not a big fan. Yeah. So I voiced that out to uh, the doctor at the time, and they were so considerate. So I think service-wise, mm. guidance, the whole ordeal went amazingly. Yeah. It was it was done in less than, remember, it was done no like time. in, in no. 15, less than 15 minutes. But the
1: whole ordeal, the two-year ordeal that we're in, needed the Ministry of Health to be on their toes. Yeah. And they not just, you know, did, did, a, did a great job. I mean, they were an example for ministries of health across, across the world. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, like... No, um,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Because that's a crisis
0: that is a crisis and crisis management is one thing i did not anticipate i learned a lot about but now if you ask me i'm almost yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> maybe not with my own will but i've become somewhat of an expert <laughs> um sure. but when you,
1: when you work on something every day eventually you know you probably be I, I, know 10, more about,
0: <laughs> I know more about covid 19 now than probably <laughs> any i mean I, you know it's just it's insane but no truly i mean even now it's certain countries are still struggling saudi has it sends so much donations, mm-hmm. right, in the form of not just financially, but also on equipment. So I think in general, they're trying to support the recovery process, which seems to be lengthy and taking a toll. But it's amazing to see the resilience mm-hmm. that there still is.
1: SDGs. Um, so when a country provides all 17, is that considered um, like the end goal or is it the end goal of the U.N.? to provide that across the board. I mean, let's just go through the 17. It's no poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, Mm -hmm. quality of education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, Mm -hmm. decent work and economic growth, industry innovation and infrastructure, reduced inequality, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption and production, climate action, life below water. What's that? What's
0: that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the ocean. Well, that. Oh,
1: so the, the, so the cleanliness the, of the of the ocean.
0: Exactly. Not only cleanliness, the, the life. Yeah, and how much we can benefit from it and scientifically for the world, nature, yeah. us. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. But is that
1: it? No, there's a couple more. I was just yeah, testing was gonna, you. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> so life on land. I was going to say there's more. Life on land, peace and justice, partnerships to achieve the goal. <clears throat>
0: exactly. That's the last one. Wow. I need a glass of water. <laughs> I know. Um,
1: but uh, so so yeah. What, so when you when you when we look at these seventeen um like subtitles what are they exactly
0: okay so that's a yeah good question so before the sustainable development goals the sdgs there was the millennial goals in fact and then the sdgs came along where it's a more comprehensive and a way more inclusive list of goals essentially think of them as a framework what of goals globally that we should and can and want to thrive because if we can somehow achieve all this and as I said I'm an idealist I'm a big believer that we can why not Mm -hmm. what are we here for Um, then you will have the utopia (laughs) right Mm -hmm. Um, so with the SDGs what's great about them also they're really a way to help us think to help us evaluate our progress on so many different sectors Uh, there's a few things I'd like us to unpack here but maybe to start off by saying with We were making progress. In general, the world was making good progress on SDGs. COVID-19 has brought us way back. And there's so much data on this. It's actually for anyone that finds it interesting to go on the website from UNDP. And there's so much information on how COVID-19 has taken us almost to some certain goals. We've even went back 100 years. That's really...
1: 100 years?
0: Yeah. Certain sets of goals. Yeah.
1: Due to, due to COVID-19?
0: COVID-19 affected the, the private sector, affected healthcare, affected nature, affected women empowerment. I, I really hate to say, there's also a very comprehensive great report. There's almost no goal that was not affected. Wow. So at this moment, if you feel anything, what I feel, I feel despair, right? Yeah. But what's great about it is when you read how much progress we made before, you're thinking now is an opportunity for us to go back bigger, better, and stronger. Why not? There was an interesting survey that was done globally, and it seemed that the number one goal people wanted to see uh, resolved was the inequality SDG. That was one of the top priorities for people. And that really says a lot because again, the divides between groups and societies and lifestyle really deepened in COVID-19. But on another level, thinking of the SDGs, there's the, um, what, what I'd like to actually highlight today is the UN Global Combat, that's an agency. And they're really active right now in Saudi. What's great about the UN Global Combat is that they essentially work with the private sector. Everyone has a role in supporting the SDGs. Me, you, businesses, governments, it's on all of us. And there's so many ways for us to realize our role. But what's what i like about the u.n global combat is they're bringing in private sector conversation we both know right that in saudi there's so much more attention on the private sector becoming a yeah, major player in, a, in enhancing saudi mm. in general and for us to reach our own our own 2030 vision right so with the u.n global combat they keep data and they work with the private sector to help them realize their role on the sdgs to Um, you know, bring in, like I said, collecting data on what each company is doing to support any of the 17 goals, to help them realize what they can do more of, what they're doing already. If they want to actually start supporting one of the SDG goals, they're not sure how, that's something they can work on. But not only businesses, also non-businesses. You're a charity, you're a school, you're a university. All of us can have our hands on supporting these SDG goals. I think that's brilliant. And there's so much more attention now being brought into UN Global Combat. So I do encourage everyone that has a business, a startup, it's not only for social entrepre- entrepreneurs to take on solving social yeah. problems. Yeah. It really now is for all of us. And that actually, seeing how I've mentioned it, ties into the 2030 Saudi vision. Now, when you look at the 2030 Saudi vision, if you put it up and you also look at the SDG goals, we're in alignment. We all have similar dreams of what we want. Mm-hmm. We all want resilient cities. We all want to empower our population. We all want to create more businesses. We want to create better health care. That's the dream. And so Saudi has, and will continue to, for a very long time, work towards realizing the SDG goals. Of course, we tailor them to our own needs. We tailor them to our own communities, within our own language, within our own abilities. And I think that's even better, because in the end of the day, who knows what you need more than yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm just on their website right now, Vision 2030 um obviously something that is very familiar to you uh, the vrps the vision realization programs yeah. and then you have a bunch of subheadings here the public investment fund program housing program program uh fiscal sustainability quality of life program health yeah. sector transformation national transformation program so much national of, it's amazing it's financial amazing. sector it's just it's vast like i encourage anyone um you know we'll, we'll put the link um in this episode in the description box just to browse it and, and see um, you know, what plans are happening behind the scenes for the country. It's, uh, I'm really <laughs> excited. To.
0: One thing I wanted to note here, which I found interesting, is uh, a very popular SDG goal right now, as it should be, is climate action. Climate action. Climate action. That's a big one because we see that's a bit of a prevention work here. We're anticipating a lot. We're trying to prevent it because climate security is also an issue. A lot of people are becoming displaced since the environment situation doesn't, they're not able to have their homes, the food, Mm. the the necessities that me and you find so Mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. Now, His Royal Highness King Salman recently actually gave a speech on environment. On, on the values on the work we do mm, already remember on climate action. A few action. weeks ago, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And also, His Royal Highness, the Crown Prince, bin uh, Salman, also um, declared the two major projects. The Green Saudi Project, yeah. which if I am... Um, um, and The other one was the Middle East. Planting
1: Green. a million trees? Is that was the it? Greenhouse? I was
0: actually reading it. Was trees? it 50 million or was it 50 billion, actually? I don't want to make up uh, numbers, no, no, no. but it, it was, was amazing. It was, if I'm,
1: not, if I'm not mistaken, it was a million trees and there was an Instagram handle from the States. It was one of these big sports ones that said, that was look what's happening in Saudi. And, uh, and I was really proud, to, was really proud okay. to read that because this handle never talks about Saudi so they were like check out what's happening in saudi it was like a million trees to be planted right. in the next year or two it was it was it was crazy
0: I, i'm so excited i cannot express it and there's also the line the line is more of a bit of an innovation design sure. right the id behind exciting. it i think that's also a bit uh that's i'm so sorry no, ten, go ahead.
1: 10 million trees
0: ten. It was mm. 10. yeah let's make it well, green we'll campaign <laughs> to,
1: campaign to plant 10 million trees across saudi arabia okay Um,
0: I went 50 billion But we can We'll um, make it 50 billion I
1: love your appetite Why not Why not not? And then Riyadh Al Khadra Green Riyadh Yeah That's I think also part of that Whole green movement Which all addresses What you're saying uh, To create a more Environmentally friendly world and it starts from here
0: that's really a lot of work is going into it even the un their last general assembly had climate action as the number one item on their agenda yeah. and so again you see how in alignment we're all really Great working to see. here together Great we're to all see. trying to make it happen mm-hmm. and uh, i just found that super interesting you know what
1: um jude environment or taking care of um albia or of our environment wasn't too high on our priorities list when i was growing up
0: Neither it, was it when I was growing It's, up. it's where we grew up <laughs>
1: roughly in the room. We're 10 years apart. Um, so it's nice to see that yeah. being addressed today. Let's be honest here. I mean, people tie the quality of uh, or the importance of clean air or a clean environment with the U.S. and EU. It's not something that you hear about Middle Eastern countries caring about that. So this is huge, you know, it coming from the top saying, you know what, this is something that we're going to take very seriously and we're going to do one, two, three, for example, planting 10 million trees.
0: Yeah, no, that's very exciting. And I think also something people don't relate with climate action, just generally climate security, is that a lot of countries are undergoing conflict. I recall one time I had a conversation uh, with a friend and they said, you know, in certain countries where there's super active conflict, it's the last of their worries what's happening about climate, yeah. right? Yeah. Interesting enough, there was a climate security project in one of the most conflict prone areas. And I remember thinking, reading, going through the project and thinking, wow, how climate security and climate action can, as I said, really help with the displacement refugee situations. Certain areas in the world we're no longer able to live in. We need durable solutions, we need to fix it. And so I think this awareness, as Mm. you said, maybe when we were growing up, it wasn't something on the agenda as much Mm. as it is now, but uh, I don't think you can avoid it anymore. No. Not right now. Yeah. It really is the time to act.
1: Yeah, amazing. And we get to see more trees when we drive around. So that's nice. Oh, that's always good. And fresh oxygen. <laughs> so that's cool, this SDG business. I want to look into it more. Um, but I mean, you take it one by one and you're like, yes, you no know, poverty. Yes, I, I, you know, I would like that in my country or in any country. Yeah. Um, zero hunger, good health. Like every single one is like, yes, that is what we need to achieve. Yeah. No, nothing, no one's perfect. But as closest to perfection. Yeah. As as possible for the benefit of of humanity, yeah. um, so uh, well again, you know, I'll, I'll put I'll put I'll put a link uh, of the SDGs in the description box, um, you know, for people to read up more on. And um,
0: I think to also just help there with the SDGs, if you put that link, mm. there's also one on policy briefs okay. for SDG goals on COVID, and that really helps us all understand how COVID affected them, but also how can we recover, nice. recover inclusively, make mm-hmm. sure everyone is on the table as we recover for each single goal. So that's a really, I mean, for me, it was just I love bedtime reading. It was we'll so it in interesting.
1: Uh, Jude, women empowerment initiatives in Saudi. Okay, back in 2013, there were no seats in Majlis al-Shura. Today, there are 30. Yeah. Back in 2015, there, were, there was none in, in the municipalities, and today the 17, if not yeah. more. You get the gist. Like, there's a lot of women entering the space. Um, Princess Rima bin Badr, Her Royal Highness. Okay, yeah. amazing. Annie, mashallah. Um, and and how, perfect. you know, they put her as uh, the female ambassador. Yes, truly, an inspiration, 100%. Um, when you hear about, um, you know, the, 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 the women in Majlis Shura or women in municipalities and women being, you know, so much more involved in, in, uh, in our country, how does that make you feel growing up?
0: I mean, personally... I couldn't have been happier. This is, this is, this is, when you asked essential, was it your dream to be there? This is my dream. What we're living right now is my dream. Um, To see all the brilliant, all the brilliant, you know, women, of course, um, but also the men, everyone. I just, to see how we're realizing our talents, our full potential, what more?
1: The men men had it, they had the opportunity (laughs) since, you know, since whenever, since I was born in 83. But what's news is that now women yeah. are on an equal playing field yeah you know
0: no definitely like
1: like it's like it's there so that's what's news here
0: i think that's all you know you asked me how do i feel about that when i was young and i was considering when am i going to study next right i thought of a few things i was like oh english literature no maybe journalism maybe this maybe that and i though a big part of it was screaming law just mm-hmm. i knew i'm gonna end up studying law. i remember telling my Grandfather Allah, and he. Right. one of the things he mentioned is he's supportive so much. But he also said, you can't practice law, though in courts here, yeah, at that time we still couldn't. Mm. How will you practice? You could be a teacher, you could be a consultant with mm-hmm. but you couldn't yet practice it on the level they do now. Yeah. I mean, now it's almost everywhere. There was no license, I couldn't have a license. And so, I, I, you know, you're young and, and you think, hmm, that is a problem, but it doesn't have to be my problem. Yeah. You know, you have a dream, pursue it. But I really recall feeling in my heart that things are gonna change. It's always gonna keep getting better. It's not going to get worse it's just going to keep getting better and i had no regret i remember mid my bachelor's they allowed it and it's just i had yeah. such a happy dance that day a um, positive
1: approach on life that um, <laughs> manifested uh, what, what we're seeing i today. really
0: knew that one day i will be able to practice law inside i just even though like, well it's not happening now even with the driving all of it and what we're seeing now is just the tip of the iceberg mohammed mm-hmm. with women empowerment It's just the tip of the iceberg there are so and i'm so excited for the next generation there are so many brilliant ladies that can give so much to the country and just globally to represent i you know and i'm actually not too happy about this i wanted to change i'm the only female saudi in the peace and security pillar for the un right now in hq And I want there to be hundreds and thousands, because why not? I know so many other ladies that can do a spectacular job with peace building, with development and everything, right? And I feel that it is our job to empower and help each other. I think I was telling you this a bit before we started, is that as happy as I am now to see all these first ladies, all these women leading directors, presidents, CEOs, it is our time now, being the generation of the first, being the generation of things being opened, this is such a critical, interesting time to live in. It an us to influence the next generation. How are we going to go about that? It is our job to hold on to each other's hands and then widen the circle. Let's not shrink it. Yeah. I don't want to be the only woman on any table or any panel. I want to be empowering my sisters. So we need to open our arms, start mentoring the next generation, create maybe societies, mentorship program. We really need to start helping each other because the next generation is when we're really going to see the influence of the First generation. You know how
1: that's going to happen? People like yourself. Putting yourself out there. Insha'Allah. Inspiring others.
0: And to be honest with you, when I was in the UK... I was in a, diverse, in a diversity, um, I was under a diversity organization mm-hmm. because I was considered in the UK for someone who's a Saudi young female, you're considered a minority. And I faced, by the way, issues of discrimination, I faced this, in general I had a great experience, but you will have your bad experience here and there. You'll just have to, especially when you're working, and law is a very competitive field. Okay. So. I was in this diversity uh, community, and it's beautiful because you're meeting people from all across the world, right? And it can be people from disadvantaged background, low-income background, minority backgrounds, um, and people who frequently face discrimination even just because of their accents, the way they speak at uh, English, right? So what was amazing about it is how we were peer-to-peer mentorship and support. And that community, till now, I'm in touch with them, and I'm actually now a mentor to oh, them. I, I go back now in mentoring. I won that here. I want to mentor people here. I want us to mentor each other. I want us to help each other to create these networks, peer-to-peer support. And that way we're fostering all the power and all these achievements we're having and putting them right and it's going to really influence whatever is going to happen next. So that's my dream right now is all these ladies that are rising to ensure they're holding on to the hands of the next. Yeah,
1: amazing. I love it. What's the wisest thing you've ever heard someone say to you?
0: Mama. Um, She's my, you know, she's my superstar. Um she once said to me three things are contagious, you know, a disease, negativity and positivity. She said to me, wow. be careful what you're contracting from others, but be careful what you're also spreading. Mm. She said that to me I was very young, I was like maybe 14, 15. Wrote it down in my journal. Never forgot it. Wow. That's a big philosophy I take on.
1: That's a that's a great out uh, outlook on life.
0: Yeah. She's she's brilliant. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can tell. I see where you got it from.
0: I did I got from my mom and dad mm-hmm. honestly their support was you know my family education was the number one thing my dad also always said education is your passport across the world not your nationality education and it will help you go anywhere in the world and if I asked for a toy when I was young he bought me a book I didn't appreciate that at <laughs> the time but now looking back I, I you know I have a beautiful library and I appreciate mm-hmm. him so much for that so education both of them really having that support it it meant everything true that's
1: true because when you provide value, everyone's going to want to run after you, you know, come, come work for us. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and it's true. It is, wow, it is your passport to the world.
0: Hundred um, percent.
1: Obviously, you have uh, aspirations for the country, you know. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you want, you know, you want to see some things happening in the next amount of years. Is there something that really, uh, could, uh, like is on your mind a lot that, you know, I want to see this specific change um, in Saudi in the next three to five years?
0: That's a brilliant question. Like I said, I think we're already doing a lot of change and that's brilliant, let's keep heading, right? But there's definitely always room for improvement. We need to be a bit greedy when it comes to change. If we're satisfied, Absolutely. if we're going to take a seat back and no, think we no. did it, we're yeah. yeah. here, done, then we're never going to get to the next level. Yeah, you won't
1: right? be getting a little bit better every day as we, as we spoke. Earlier. We
0: want to be visionaries. We don't want to just, as I said before, what standards are we trying to meet? We want to set the standards. We want to create new standards. So things I would hope to always see more of, I've already touched upon women empowerment, which I think is super important. But not only women empowerment, as, you know, I've mentioned inclusivity so many times. There's so many other people, there's so many different groups in our society that I want us to tap into, right? And when I say inclusivity, I mean, bring everyone on the table, right? The minority, the different religions, the those with special needs. Yeah they all will bring in a different perspective. We're all Saudi, we're all Mm represented. I wanna hear everyone's point of view and be able to integrate that because then the solutions we're creating are truly sustainable. So that's a vision I have for us, is a table filled with every single segment of Saudi. And so tolerance, coexistence, we're already seeing an increase of tolerance. You know, these days when you walk down the street, you can all, you know, people can dress whatever they wanna dress. We still, of course, respecting our ultimate values, respecting our religion. But tolerance has increased. Has increased. It's amazing. I'm, it's in the air. You You're can see it. Absolutely right. So I want more of that. Yeah. Um, something else I'd like to see is, and I've said this, is to increase the representation globally, mm. um, not just in the UN or an in international sector, in everything. Mm-hmm. I'm greedy. I want us to be in every single sector. I want us to be in our, because we can. Because yeah. it's not impossible. We already have the gifted, uh, the hard workers. We have them here. Yeah. It's just that we need to help each other rise more, and so. Even now when I was telling the story that happened uh, when I during my dissertation, um, I wanted to reference more Saudi writers because I was mm-hmm. writing a Saudi case. But interesting enough, a lot of the books written about the Gulf, even Gulf think tanks or research global tanks, there's, we're not on the table. You know the saying, no conversation about us without us? Mm-hmm. Well, then, it's our job to ensure our voices are there. So I want more academics, writers, journalists. I want us to have media outlets led all by, yeah.
1: by Sports, us. Sports, something close to my heart. Sports, that's happening. We're coming up through the ranks.
0: That's amazing. Entertainment, yeah. right? Um, tourism. We are seeing more of us represented there. So I, I feel that, again, it's our individual. Yeah. I've never even wanted to wait for um, you know, the seniors to lead mm. the way. It's on us to lead the way. Definitely. We can create projects and initiatives, even if it's small, right? One of the things I got involved with, and I am a big fan of, is social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Social entrepreneurs, where they think of a business idea that can still benefit society, we all can do that. You don't have to have yeah. a billion in your pocket to create no. something positive. No, you don't. Try to think of whatever works for you and go ahead with that. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big believer that we need to increase. And actually, an interesting idea, my sister once, uh, my eldest sister, Uh, dr agada has once told me is that why don't we um donate more to research it's good to donate towards um you know humanitarian causes and helping but if we're also donating towards research supporting local researchers we're ensuring that there's more of our voice more content created by us and i love that idea i was like that's what we need more of so in general i feel that that's the next thing that we need to work on yeah yeah
1: yeah um you know like it's um a lot of people in Saudi here, you know, they want to get a job and they, they just want to go into a company and <clears throat> get their salary. Um, yeah. I'd like to see more innovation, you know, um, ideas, content creators. Yeah. Uh, go and start start that firm. You know, you employ as opposed to be employed. Um, lead the way. Um, yeah. Just to build on what you were saying, that's something that I would like to see more, you know, entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know. said
0: it in a better way than I did. Well, that's exactly. <laughs> that's you just summarise it. That's exactly. So I try to say yes.
1: Um, but but yeah no, there's definitely so much to be excited about. Uh, Jude, is there something that uh, you know you wanna put out there? Something you wanna close with? Yeah. Uh, I, we we touched on so many things. I've had uh, on all the notes that I wanted to uh, throw at you. Is there something that I miss? Is there something that you wanna address and discuss? Perhaps a question for me. I don't know.
0: Well, maybe then. What's uh, what's your dream? Your next dream? What's next for you and for the show?
1: Um, it's just to continue growing. You know, um, uh, the 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 dream hasn't changed from day one. Uh, no. Changing the perception of Saudi. I didn't like no. how we were being portrayed in the media. Uh, I've I've went on record on, on Arabi. I said that straight up. Um, I didn't like how Western media. I, I felt that they're unfair to the way that. Uh, we are being perceived and there's so much good that is happening here in saudi it's um as many people many foreign guests i won't say it let the foreign guests speak for <laughs> themselves they they said they've never seen a country as safe as saudi it's true because when i travel I'm, I'm always on guard i i see things i hear things but in saudi alhamdulillah the alhamdulillah. security we have here is yeah. some is is like our biggest gift yeah. you know yeah. um so um So just go back to the the point of the podcast and no i i just want to continue showing saudi in the fair light that it should be shown in um um and and really putting the spotlight on people like you uh, on people that have come uh, before you and perhaps people that will come after you looking at your sister on this podcast um to reach people in all ends of the world to show them hey this is what the real Saudis like, not what you're seeing on uh, on the TV. Uh, this is straight from the horse's mouth, as they say, um, uh, uncensored, um, uncut. It's uh, it's the truth. You know what's happening here. So I know people, um, you know, all over the world, um, who will hear you and be like, "Wow, this Saudi girl, she's so knowledgeable. <laughs> Her English, I didn't know that." Like you know, someone tuning in would be like, "Oh my God, I never knew a Saudi could speak." You know, That's are these not too? You know, are they are they are they really Saudis? You know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I, I feel you in that area, Muhammad. And, you know, one of the reasons I reached out to you seven months ago by this point is because you were still very early on. You were just, maybe only had a few, one episode out, yeah. right? Yeah. But I've always been a person that believes in seeing potential in other people and then supporting it one way or another. Um, and so I am so proud to be here today, you know, of, of all of what you've created in such a short time. And I think there's, you know, to, the sky is the limit. I say this to myself when I say this to people. So don't just dream of, like you said, any job, anything. I get it. Sometimes that's the level you think on, but we really can. And, you know, and a bit of an inspirational note is I used to tell myself, and I still do, I need to hear 50 no's to get that one yes that matters because I've received a lot of rejections. When you dream big, you're gonna apply to as much as you can, of course, strategically, and you're not gonna take no for an answer. And you're gonna have to do your hard work on it. And you're gonna receive no's, no's that sometimes I thought this is as bad as it can get, but then you get the yeses that matters. And so, I am a f- I'm a firm believer that what really shows the quality of a person is not their success, but how they bounce back from any fa- from any failure. So because true. We, we all face challenges. Absolutely. And God knows I feared my you know I faced my fair share of them, and I'll continue to. Um, But you said, what can I end it on? So two things really here. First of all is that if anyone would ever like to reach out to me, I've, you know, on LinkedIn. And I have so many people that reach out just with random questions or maybe applying, how they figure out their life. I'm not a professional mentor or anything, but we are here to help each other. Nasil al right? So I'm always happy. Interesting enough, sometimes I get approached by uh, foreigners more than Arabs. And I'm always like, but I want to, I'm happy to help happy to help but you want to really be able to help those in in whatever capacity you can of Mm. course at the end of the day um because there's some things as much as i would love to do it (laughs) maybe not able to today maybe someday Uh, so just to say that we're here for each other so if anyone ever has any questions wants to reach out more than happy to and then to conclude it by saying that it's it's bringing it back to the resilient uh point is that you know, it, it's a, don't get discouraged. I face discrimination one way or another. I face the challenges one way or another. Yeah. You know, you get the rejections. You do if you dream big, but lead by example. Yeah. There are days. You know, I was in UK during Brexit. You know, things changed kind of in the air sometimes. Still, the most wonderful people, and I have so many best friends that I still visit all the time. But as the political climate or situations change around the world, from bad or good you don't have to you're in control of who you are inside yeah. and you shouldn't let the narrative or the negativity or things you see around you get to you you really shouldn't it's oh, on absolutely. you to be a better person it's our job to be better people than we were yesterday and to help better the situation and to do that in an angry manner a loud manner don't mm-hmm. you know lead by example be that happy positive person people see that wow how come they're so loud and how could they be so I, I i really feel that if everyone takes it on responsibility on themselves you know we're such critical of other people, but we're not so critical about ourselves. <laughs> Look at the mirror, have a hard talk with yourself, and think of what you can improve. So true. And then from there, I feel that we can uh, really have world peace. Because I'm a big, you know, I always say so what and why not. Yep. Those are two things I live by.
1: As the person who was on the show two people before, you said lightning can strike. Okay. Oh, How did it took you? Like he recited this line from, from a movie, and he's like, lightning can strike, and you can go from zero to a hundred just like that you know yeah. uh start is the advice i got before i started i went to someone and i was like um i want to do this The one person i went to and he was like start yeah. it's going to be ugly yeah. in the beginning and it was ugly in the beginning but i think it's getting a little prettier it's no, just because you're getting a little better every day but in the beginning it's ugly but you you got to start
0: i remember going to this <coughs> international organization uh, job fair in in london and I saw the UN, and there were so many positions I wanted, but there were certain programs that uh, were based on nationality, and I didn't see Saudi in any of those lists. Mm. And I was so discouraged. I remember heading back to the apartment oh, and seeing my know, sister. Sure. Of course, that's yeah. kind of something you were considering. You don't see that na- certain programs required, not all jobs do, but certain some of them. I headed home, um, and then I saw my sister, and I was feeling down. I was like, ah, oh, that's really discouraging. Everything I wanted wasn't wasn't within my reach. Yeah. And uh, we left Chinatown, so we went out there just to shoot around and cheer me up. Um, and then, within less than seven months, I got my job offer. Nice. Because even though I was super discouraged, I continued to look, continue to apply, continued to you know awesome. find my way. I love these stories. So even if you see a no, even if you see a blunt note, it's like no, Muhammad. <laughs> Let's say you find like we accept everyone except Muhammad, but still keep applying, keep trying. It will take a few times. It will take God knows what it can. But you'll get there. I'm mm-hmm. a big believer in that, so I'm um, I'm happy I didn't give up because if I did, then I wouldn't have been here with you today.
1: And if I didn't, and if I didn't start, if I gave up, I don't think we would have been having we would have had this conversation. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know, dream big and do. Um, uh, don't do easy. I don't think anything uh, good comes from easy. You know, no, I don't think anything uh, ever was easy. Good comes from uh, from, uh, from from as you say. You know, falling down, learning, getting back up again. Yeah, yeah. Fifty nos equals a yes
0: building starts with a conflict, unfortunately, or about to, or seeing it, and then you have peace, yeah. right? It actually yeah. sometimes helps us look straight into the problem yeah. that's been there, but no one addressed it. Let mm-hmm. me we say, we're here to fix this. This is not okay. But you actually needed to notice it in the first place. So yeah. you need a bad incident sometimes to make you reflect and start over, or start again, bigger, better, and stronger. Yeah. So...
1: Um. Thank you, Jude, so much for she everything him, that you did today. Honestly, um, people like you that come on the show, and there's been a, a few before, but you really stand out. You stick out um, as someone that really represent, represents our country. Great. You. you remind me a lot of Her Royal Highness Princess Reema bin Bandar. Honestly, oh, I, I, such a compliment. I I, mean, I, that there's is such something <laughs> there. There's something there. I'm sure you study her. Um, Wallahi, you make it. me proud. You make me proud to be Saudi. You will be always. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for reaching out eight months ago. Thank you for, you know, finally being able to come on and we had this great conversation and I I, mean, I hope I didn't bore you too much
0: no I enjoyed every second of it thank you so much Muhammad for I creating such it. a platform and such a place and I truly wish that this continues on up up and beyond Chaba. I appreciate it so much it's
1: coming from the heart honestly and and you know if, if we can just from this podcast reach just a couple people you know who, who've never known anything about Saudi Arabia and they hear someone like you speaking through your experiences and they're mm-hmm. like oh this is I want to know more about this uh, this girl and what she's been through. I want to know more, more, more about the country. I want to know more and more and more, just to open their minds to what perhaps would not have been opened if it wasn't for us. Exactly. So, uh, so Wallah, Thanks again, Jude, for uh, for coming on. Shukrak, right. Shukra Muhammad. Shukra right. we'll be in touch. And more, We'll put all your links in the description box below, so people can reach out to you, ask thank you, you yeah. questions. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you.
0: Shukrak, Muhammad. Yeah, thank you so soul. much. Bye.